This is Beyond Riel, a UMFM limited series that delves into the history, culture, and challenges facing minority Francophone community in Canada. My name is André Marcheldon. And I'm Ian T.D. Thompson. We are excited that you have tuned in as we explore la francophonie in Canada. This series is sponsored by La Société de la Francophonie Manitobaine, the advocate for the Franco-Manitobaine community. This project is also supported by a Taking a Global grant with support from the Canada Service Corps and the Government of Canada. For our final episode, we will be looking at organizations that represent Francophones in Manitoba and across Canada. We will also talk about the Official Languages Act, which mandates the federal government, amongst other things, to provide French and English services across Canada. To guide us on this conversation, we've invited Justin Johnson. Thank you very much. Merci. Thank you for having me. Justin is a Francophone and proud Red River Métis. Justin previously served as Vice President for the Fédération des Communautés Francophones et Acadiennes du Canada, the FCFA, which represents Francophones and Acadians across all of Canada. Justin is currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Bilingual Municipalities, which represents 15 bilingual municipalities in Manitoba, including Winnipeg. Earlier this year, Justin was a recipient to the Prairie in recognition for his dedication to Francophone communities. So I think a really useful place to start, I think, for many of the listeners is with the organizations that you've either previously worked with or currently work with. So could you talk a little bit about your role with the Association of Bilingual Municipalities and what the organization plays in Manitoba? Yeah. yeah, as as all good Francophone organizations and institutions, we love our acronyms. So the Association of Manitoba Bilingual Municipalities, known as the AMBM, has existed for now almost 30 years. And its role within Manitoba is to ensure that municipalities have the tools and, and mechanisms they need to offer and deliver services in, in both official languages to their uh, local population. So it's that work I, I'm currently doing and I've been doing for the past now uh, three to four years now. And uh, I, I just love it. It's, uh, it's great to be working with local leaders that care about their community, that want to promote its uh, bilingual and, and francophone heritage and also develop that community today in 2021 and see how uh, we can develop the infrastructure, the services, the amenities that make our communities, our Francophone and bilingual communities, a great place to play, raise a family, work professionally. Uh, so that's all of the work I'm currently doing uh, with uh, the AMBM at the moment. And one of the other organizations you, you, you've previously worked for was the FCFA. Um, and and, and they, they represent Francophones and, and Acadians in Canada across the country. But what sort of role do, do they play in the sort of the sphere of these sort of organizations helping out uh, the Francophone communities in Canada? And there's another acronym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, the, the FCFA is, is how, how would I say this uh, more simply? The FCFA represent Francophones and Acadians from coast to coast. Uh, within that organization, there are many leaders coming from all provinces and, and territories representing their local uh, Francophone communities. And together, we are able to better lobby and represent uh, their interests specifically to uh, the federal government. And in that way, we represent a, a strong group that is able to effectively get some messages across to work in collaboration with the federal government to ensure that 
We continue to develop our capacity at the ground level for uh, Canada's francophonie moving forward. And I should say also within the context of Canada's uh, Official Languages Act uh, that uh, not too long ago celebrated its 50th anniversary. So within that context, the federal government with francophone communities outside of Quebec Uh, what we call official language minority communities, we're able to to get uh, results and uh, see to reinforced uh, services, whether they be in education, healthcare, culture, etc. All of those uh, services make uh, life in French in both official languages possible, and and all of that work is done through the FCFN. I've I was the vice president role in in the past few years. I, I'm no longer there because. I'm raising a family here in Manitoba, and I have my hands full here in Manitoba. But uh, it was it was a pl- privilege and, and an honor to serve at, at that level, and uh, I was proud of uh, moving some files forward to benefit all of our communities from coast to coast to coast. So I'm getting a theme. You know, you're you're there to help out the francophone communities across Manitoba, across Canada, and, and I think that's it's a, it's a really valiant effort. And you yourself, you of course identify as a francophone as well as a Red River Métis. And so, you know, you're talking about some of the issues that may come to the fore uh, that the government has to deal with in relation to Francophone communities. Um, uh, but in terms of kind of the, the French-speaking Métis population, what are the, some of the issues that you think Manitobans should know about uh, when it comes to those issues in the French-speaking Métis community that they face in the province? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And I think from the get start, what's important to know is that Manitoba is the only province in Canada partly founded by an Indigenous people, the Métis. And Louis Riel, that led the charge and led the provisional government uh, leading to the foundation of Manitoba as a province, was also a Francophone and a proud one. So that legacy is vibrant and, and alive even today in 2021. And it's because of Louis Riel and uh, many leaders and supporters that helped out that they were able to guarantee certain linguistic, religious rights. And they gave the foundation for a diverse and multicultural Manitoba that we know today. And also, I would say they gave the foundation or contributed to uh, what we know now as the Charter of Rights and Freedoms at the uh, national level. Many of the elements and rights found in the Charter are things uh, that Louis Riel and uh, the Métis here in Manitoba uh, asked for as well. So uh, that legacy is still living today, and I'm, I'm quite proud of, of my ancestors, and specifically André uh, Beauchemin, uh, that served on uh, Louis Riel's uh, provisional government. It happens to be my great-great-great-grandfather on my mom's side. And so that history hits close to home. Some may say I have some rebellious blood, <laughs> but I, I rather say that we contributed to something that's still going today. It took a lot of effort. It wasn't easy. Being Métis at the time uh, definitely wasn't easy. There were questions of racism. We don't have to get into that, but it was uh, very hard to get what they uh, got. And the Métis and the Francophone Métis since then have been continuing to fight for their rights, linguistic rights. Throughout Manitoba's history, we've gained rights and we've lost rights from 1870 to now. 
And things are, are moving ahead, looking better now. We, we now have a law in Manitoba that specifically supports and enhances the services for Francophone communities here in Manitoba, something that wasn't or would not have been imaginable 30 years ago. So we're, we're making, uh, again, more gains. And I, I should mention that this is all possible because of what Louis Riel and our ancestors, Métis ancestors, were able to do to get people together. Talk about our differences, yes, because at the time there were Francophone Métis and Anglophone Métis, and they didn't always see eye to eye, but they did through uh, Louis Riel's uh, leadership, and it brought important results at, at that time. So I think in, in that spirit, following Louis Riel's footsteps and beyond Louis Riel, it's important to note that work continues, and uh, we have to remember all of that history so that we build and continue to build movement moving forward in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I really like the the shout out back to, to the name of the show. <laughs> but but in, in a serious note, it, it, it's it's useful to, to say here was the history of the time. And yet still within that historical context, you know, some of the same issues may still be prevalent in kind of the French speaking Métis population. Now, with this episode, we are kind of looking forward a little bit. Andre is going to talk to you about the Official Languages Act in a minute. But one of the things that has come to the forefront um, in the recent months has been uh, the appointment of a new governor general, uh, Mary Simon, who is the first Inuk uh, governor general, but she does not speak French. And this this has caused a little bit of um, issues and and, and statements um, from Francophone associations about uh, her inability to speak an official language. What are your thoughts on this appointment? Yeah, I think I have to be clear here. I support the fact that we've, in 2021, finally appointed a first Indigenous woman to the position of Governor General. It is a positive step forward. Of course, there are questions surrounding the Official Languages Act and the fact that she uh, is not able to converse and, and speak in French. That being said, she she has committed to improving or, or learning the language, taking into account that it is an official language here in Canada and since uh, now over 50 years. So I, I feel that that is positive and that we should support the Governor General in that work and in her better understanding the issues surrounding official languages and specifically the issues surrounding official language minority communities, francophone communities outside Quebec. And so I look forward to meeting the Governor General and welcoming her here in Manitoba so that she uh, be in contact with us uh, francophones, but also the Métis francophone community. I think there's a relationship to build there. And I think that is in fact happening or may happen shortly. I don't know if you've witnessed or seen the Governor General ceremony a, a few days ago, but there was a local proud Franco Métis uh, woman that sang at the Governor General's uh, ceremony. Her name is Madame Andrina Turen, and she is a proud Métis woman from Manitoba, and she sang at that ceremony, and she's a Francophone as well. So I think that's symbolic in many ways, and I think we can build off of that moving forward. It's just it's just super important to see and note and celebrate the fact that we're seeing Indigenous leaders taking positions of leadership in Canada, in our provinces and territories, and I think we have to support that. Even though there might be issues uh, that uh, have to be addressed 
including the official languages issue. So I think we're moving forward in the right direction and Canada's Francophone communities will continue to uh, dialogue and uh, build a strong relationship with the Governor General and the Government of Canada globally. This has been great. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, just again, for, for coming on. You previously mentioned very briefly the uh, Languages Act, and that's what we want to focus on for the second half of the episode. So when you previously served with the FCFA, which again is the organization which represents Francophones and Acadians uh, across the country, uh, there was a lot of talk from this organization about the need to update the Official Languages Act. To kind of just get us started, would you be able to, to kind of talk about when this act was passed and what its significance was? Yeah, so the Official Languages Act was first passed and put into law in 1969. So it's been some time now. We've celebrated not too long ago the 50th anniversary of the uh, OLA, the Official Languages Act. And and that act uh, essentially serves to ensure that services are offered and delivered in both official languages throughout the federal government system. And on top of that, it also ensures and promotes positive measures to develop official language minority communities throughout uh, the country. Outside of Quebec, Francophone communities, and within Quebec, the minority Anglophone communities. So the Act has done great things for those communities and has proven its, its medal. That being said, like all laws, they need updating because things either don't work or need a boost. And uh, the Official Languages Act is kind of in that category. Obviously, the internet did not exist in 1969. So just that in itself merits a close uh, look and all the question of how people consume francophone products and television series and services, etc., has completely changed because we now live in a more digital connected world. For the FCFA, they've been pushing for quite a while for it to be updated. So what did the uh, FCFA specifically want in terms of updates in the Official Languages Act? There are many, many things, and I, I won't go through all of them, but I'll concentrate on one that I think is crucial. At this time, the Official Languages Act is managed by uh, one department within the federal system. And that, that department is Heritage Canada, Patrimoine Canadien. And so is the responsibility of the minister of the Department of Heritage. That being said, the minister responsible for that department can only encourage by law the application of an official language's minority lens to other departments and agencies at the federal level. And I should stress the word encourage. So the minister and that department can encourage other departments and agencies to put in place uh, services in both official languages. Now, encourage is not a strong word. (laughs) What the FCFA is looking at is to ensure to strengthen, give more teeth to uh, the federal government to ensure that an official language lens is applied throughout the system, throughout all departments and agencies, what is not necessarily yet put in place now. So the proposition goes to Modo in general is to identify a central agency that is able to effectively apply an official language lens throughout the government system and to ensure checks and balances are, are put in place and that 
departments and agencies are actually delivering on services to all Canadians in both official languages, or at least applying the active offer principle with regards to uh, services at that level. And I know a few months ago, um, the federal government actually proposed some changes to the Official Languages Act. They, they've yet to pass as uh, to the time that we're recording this episode, of course. But what were your thoughts on these proposed changes? Did they meet the, the hope of the changes that uh, would be made for this Official Languages Act? Or do you think that there were other changes that should have been proposed that were not proposed? Yeah, Bill C-32 uh, is now tabled. And so there, there is a bill literally on the table for discussion and for debate. That is a very, very important step. And personally, I'm very proud of that important step. We've been working on this <laughs> for now uh, many years. I still include myself in all of this because I played a part in years past, but I do still feel and I am proud of, of the work that's being done. And I feel as though the federal government is putting in place what is necessary for us to get to a modernized official languages act. So in general, a very positive move on the federal government's part. Obviously, it will require all federal parties to commit to modernizing the official languages act. That is uh, currently the, the case. All federal parties have been vocal with regards to their support for uh, modernizing the Official Languages Act. So that's positive. A federal election is probably coming up uh, shortly. So communities, uh, Francophone communities throughout the country will be on the ground meeting candidates, talking about uh, what the Official Languages Act means for them. And so that dialogue has to continue. And uh, with all of that work done and the work to come in the next weeks and, and months, I think we'll be set and ready for the step, uh, the next step, which is it going through uh, its readings and being officially passed <laughs> and becoming the law of the land. So it's a long time coming, but I think we're moving in the right direction. It's very exciting to to see this law kind of moving forward. But of course, this is not the end all be all, right? So are there any other measures that you would suggest or you think the provincial or federal governments should take uh, in order to protect French-speaking communities in minority settings in Canada? Yeah, I'll mention maybe an issue or file that I'm currently working on at the Association of Manitoba Bilingual Municipalities and I that I think might contribute to the development and vitality of OLMC's official language minority communities throughout Canada. And that's the role of municipalities in promoting both official languages and offering services in both English and French. Now, before the actual Official Languages Act was passed, there was something called the Commission of Biculturalism and Bilingualism that looked and examined on what would that look like? Uh, how do we envision a bicultural society in Canada? All those questions were asked in the 1960s. And in those reports, they mentioned that official languages, English and French, did not necessarily have a future unless local governments, municipal governments, played a role in promoting them. And the idea here is that, well, local governments are the closest to Canadians, are the closest to residents and to citizens. And so they're in contact almost daily, weekly, with local governments offering essential services like garbage pickup, recreation, etc. So if local governments are tooled up to offer services in both official languages, then Canadians are actually seeing it and understand 
that's just part of Canadian society. And so we are currently looking at uh, all of that to see how municipalities could be uh, clearly and explicitly referenced uh, within the Modernized Official Languages Act. But on top of that, obviously, like all recognition of governments, there needs to be resources put and attached to that. So what the AMBM is currently asking for and has been recommending over the past few years now is ensuring that a funding program is put into place to support local governments in offering services in both official languages. So that's the actually doing and participation of municipalities working with the federal government and provinces and territories to ensure that at all orders of government, federal, provincial, and and municipal services are, are delivered and offered readily accessible in both official languages. And in Manitoba's context, what's important to note too is that we're always striving to ensure that services in French are at least at the same level of quality than those offered and maintained in in English. So it's a question of true equality, real equality between uh, both official languages. So it's a question of reinforcing, building a stronger partnership between all three orders of government in Canada, the federal, provincial, and municipal levels. Oh, that's perfect. That really goes to show that when it comes to protecting French rights and providing French services, it's not just the responsibility of one level of government, it's responsibility of all three levels of government, right? Municipal, provincial, and federal as well. Right. So we've covered quite a bit of ground on this episode. Uh, Thanks again, Justin, for for coming on. I was wondering at this point, if you had any final thoughts on uh, any topics related to what we've discussed that we might not have uh, touched on so far in this episode. No, I, I just want to uh, let you guys know that I, I appreciate uh, the invitation and I, I appreciate the opportunity to discuss these kinds of issues because they're not necessarily easy. They're sometimes complex. And it's a question also of awareness and talking about it to a wider audience, even in the case of education in both official languages. I firmly believe that all young Canadians should have the opportunity to learn both official languages. And that's not even the case yet today throughout the country. So how do we ensure that? How do we give that opportunity to all young Canadians and older Canadians? Uh, I mean, we shouldn't put them aside either. How do we ensure that uh, things are put in place that they be able to learn both official languages? Perfect. Well, Justin, thanks again a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and have a good one. On today's episode, Justin talked to us about some of the organizations that represent Francophones in Manitoba and across Canada. These organizations ensure francophones in minority settings are heard and that their rights are respected. Organizations such as La Fédération des Communautés Francophones et Acadiennes du Canada, the FCFA, played an active role in promoting updates to the Official Languages Act. Justin also highlighted the active role the Métis have played in Manitoba from the time of Luria to the present day. Finally, Justin detailed how the protection of francophone rights is a responsibility for all three levels of government. Thank you for listening to the final episode of Beyond Real. Executive producers and hosts are André Mathurdon and Ian T.D. Thompson. Technical producer is Frédéric Demers, and consulting producer is Gabrielle Tuga. The music you hear on Beyond Real is by Rayana. To hear more of her music, visit rayana.com. That's R-A-Y-A-N-N-A-H.com. Beyond Real is a UMFM 101.5 limited series broadcasted out of the University of Manitoba. For more information on the series, visit umfm.com.
Our goal in making this podcast was to share the history, culture, and challenges facing minority Francophone communities in Canada. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed producing it. Thanks again. Merci. Cadavre en quincaille